Welcome to What It Takes to Be Wild. My name is Grace and I am your host. What It Takes to Be Wild is a podcast created to encourage and support women to realize that no matter who they think they are, they can always become who they really want to be. Help us grow our audience by following us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and by visiting, liking, and sharing about us on Facebook and Instagram. Today on the show, we have Stephanie Linkus, who is a sergeant in a metro area police department. She's here to tell her story of growing up and how she entered the police force and how that has dramatically changed her life. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, Grace. Thank you for being here with us today. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. So I um, was introduced to you by my chiropractor, of all people, and (laughs) um, he told me about uh, what you do with the law enforcement and uh, metro area and talked about, I think you have your black belt in a martial art. Is that right? Purple belt. I wish. (laughs) Purple. I'm getting. Oh, there's a purple belt. There is. Oh, wow. Okay, good. Uh, but he he said you were um, pretty amazing and that you would be a perfect person for us to hear about and interview um, on the show. So tell us a little bit about your background and um, what it was like for you growing up and how that brought you to be in law enforcement. Um, so kind of grew up in a um, more of a poverty poor area in Colorado. Didn't really fit in in the neighborhood I lived in because we were bused out to a rural area school, kind of when they were trying to migrate uh, minorities in the area. Didn't really fit in in the school I went to either just because I didn't really belong there. Uh, being a minority, didn't have money and didn't wear the same clothes or drive the same cars they did had a lot of problems at home with my mom. They're great parents now, but back then they were into the more party life, um, drinking, drugs, and it was a very difficult situation for me to live in. I didn't want to be that way. We moved a lot, never really had um, a stable home for more than a year, which became difficult as well. When I was uh, 15, my mom and I got in a really big argument and became physical. She kicked me out and I became homeless at 15. I lived in my car for a while. I stayed with friends until my sister moved back to Denver and I was able to live with her for a while until I was able to get a job and get my things back together, all while still going to high school, still playing sports, still getting good grades and trying to um, still do the best I can. That day when you got in a fight with your mom, you told me earlier that a police officer came to the house. Yeah, uh, I called the police because it did become physical and I was helping pay the rent there. I was working. I was trying to pay for my car. Again, I was 15, driving illegally, but it was the only way I had to get to school. So I would drive to school, would drive back home, would drive to work, nowhere else. I did call the cops and um, cops said that's it wasn't my home and I had to leave if I couldn't get along with my mom. And you were like, okay, see ya. And I left. She didn't let me take anything because she was upset, of course. So I took my clothes that she allowed me to take and I left. Wow. I, I get along with my parents really, really well now. We're very close. But that was the last time I actually lived with my parents. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think it was just my mom anyway because my mom and dad were separated and arguing or something. Mm-hmm. And what is your um, heritage from your parents, like your mom and dad's side? My mom is Mexican and my dad is German and Spanish. 
Okay. Yeah. Quite the mix as well, too. (laughs) Do you identify as Latino or? Uh, Yeah, I'm very brown, very curly (laughs) hair. Curly hair, yeah. (laughs) Frizzy, frizzy hair and very tanned. When you left home and you were homeless, you were still going to school and you were still playing sports and um, able to keep up really good grades. And so when you graduated high school, then what did you decide that you wanted to do? I didn't know at the time, uh, you know, it was, um, I, okay. So I actually had my son at 17. So I was a mom at my graduation and I didn't know what to do. I was working at a plasma center. A lot of the people around me were going to nursing school. I had some paramedics there and we had a doctor and a nurse that also worked there and they encouraged me to go back to school. I told them I couldn't do it. I didn't have the money for it. So one of the paramedics helped me apply for grants and scholarships, which I was grateful enough because I got them and I was able to go back to school for nursing. But I did not like nursing. I, I didn't like the field at all. It just wasn't for me. But I thought maybe being a firefighter would work because they're paramedics. So they're still kind of medical. They do help in the medical field, but they are out in the field. They're not stuck in a hospital just doing medical. So I went to take the fire exam and found out they actually were not hiring anymore. They were redeveloping the entire uh, test because they weren't hiring enough minorities at the time. So I took the police test since it was in the same building and they were hiring. Year later, after numerous test processings, um, they do like a psyche valve, the physical, the written test, and I got hired with the police department. And how long have you been there? Since 2006. Yeah, long time. And so you've... you've long time now. Yeah. And you had, you've had the opportunity, especially as a female, to be able to work up in the ranks a bit. Tell us a little bit about that. I worked in a lot of different units. I worked on our impact teams. I worked in our gang unit. I was able to train in our vice narcotics unit. I was a detective for six years, and then I was promoted to sergeant. Yeah, when we were talking before, you were saying like you're saying how much you love your work, um, and that you had really no intention of originally <laughs> becoming a police officer, and then bam, there you were doing it, and it ended yeah. up being perfect for you. It was, you know, being a patrol officer was fun. It you, it's tough because you go on a lot of calls that most people shouldn't see in their lifetime. You know, you see the worst in people, but you also see the good in people and you get to impact women and children. And that was such a great feeling to me. And when I became, you know, when I decided to do jujitsu, it was just amazing to me. And I know I've seen it all over the media, especially now is why more officers don't do jujitsu because it, it shows you how to control someone without actually hurting them and how to control them without getting yourself injured. But just being in the jujitsu environment and seeing the women around me were so, so helpful. They were all, you know, there, they accept you, they help you, which I didn't really get in the police department when I was a new officer. It was more, the women were kind of against each other. There wasn't a lot of us back then. And the ones that were, were always trying to prove that they belong there. And none of them really ever got along. They didn't support each other. They didn't lift each other up. They weren't really there to help each other. A lot of the help I got through the police department was always through other male role models, never really females. And I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to move up in the ranks and actually be there to help other officers, including the women. 
And you have, right? There's like, there's been a big change since you started in the number of women. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say that was me, <laughs> but they hired a lot of women just because a lot of women deserve to be there. You know, and women bring a different view and aspect to the police department, I think, because a lot of times when we go on calls where there's children involved, the women are always the first to step up and grab the children because they probably feel more comfortable with us. But there are certain situations where I feel like we bring in a different emotional level. You know, we all go out there and we try to show no emotion and we can't cry on every call and we can't get emotionally involved in every call. But I feel like, especially for me being a female, I do still get emotionally involved and I do still see these children and I want to wrap my hands around them and make sure they know they're safe. But you now have a very interesting role in the department. Now, as of now, I'm a sergeant in the traffic investigations unit. So we investigate um, traffic fatalities and serious injury accidents. So we do see a lot of death. And, um, you know, the hard part about traffic is it, it's anybody. I mean, it, they don't discriminate against anyone. A traffic accident is a traffic accident. Whether you're two years old or 98 years old, you can be killed in an accident. What do you do? Do you reconstruct it? And what what does that entail? It is a reconstruction. So it's basically a reconstruction of how the accident happened, whether it's finding out speed or if somebody ran a red light, if somebody was driving careless, switched lanes. Um, you know, and it to me, it going to traffic wasn't always the limelight of the police department. I wanted to be narcotics. I wanted to be vice or gang unit. And then when I started working in traffic, it was amazing to me that you can use physics and numbers to reconstruct an accident and give family closure. A lot of times the families that I have had to give information to or tell them what happened to their loved one, they don't really necessarily get angry about it being the family member's fault. They just want answers. And I, I've had family members of my own killed in traffic accidents. And I always felt the same way as I just wanted to know what happened. Mm. It's a really, really challenging job, I would imagine. It can be, but for the most part, I feel it's rewarding too. I like being there for the families. I like being able to give them closure, telling them what happened, whether it's, you know, someone else's fault or the family member's fault. You know, it takes a really, <laughs> I, I know you'll be humble about this because I've talked to you before, but it takes a really special person to be able to do that, you know, to be able to see that kind of death and um, sadness and to be with grieving families and, and to walk away feeling like you contributed in the most positive way that you could given the circumstances to support that family. It, it really takes a, a selflessness, I think. So thank you for being willing to do that. Oh, well, thank you very much. As a nurse, I understand that too, and uh, it can be extremely thankless. So thank you. Well, thank you. So um, we talked before also about mentorship and that it's really important for you to be able to um, support other women and to really show, I think, not only what women can do, but um, how important it is to be there. Can you say a little bit about your experience teaching? Absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, when I started jujitsu, the, the men are very welcoming and they're very helpful, but it's a different kind of feeling when other women in the gym just embrace you and, you know, show you that you belong there. So 
um, when I got my purple belt, I started teaching and helping on the women's class. I now do a women's class Saturday mornings. And it's mainly just to bring these women in, whether they compete for fun or whether it's self-defense. It's a great workout for one. It's the only workout I do. Um, and two, I just feel like a lot of women that I see in my personal life at work, if they're going to be in a vulnerable situation, especially when it comes to sexual assault or, you know, fighting or aggression, the the position you are going to be in is a position I am very comfortable in in jujitsu. So, you know, when it comes to like sex assault, if somebody is in that position, I am very comfortable there fighting from that position. So I feel like every woman should have some kind of self-defense to be able to defend themselves. And I also think a lot of men don't expect women to fight for themselves. And, you know, it's hard to say because you can fight someone who gets more angry, but I feel like if I have a fighting chance to to not be injured or assaulted, then I want that fighting chance. And I think all women should have that level of confidence in them. Plus, you know, it's a, it's a family and it's a group. It's we are we are family. And when one of us needs each other, the other one is there. We support each other in and outside of the gym. And I've had such a great role model. I've had a, a she is now a black belt female and you know, it's funny when we first saw each other, we kind of clashed because we were both very alpha and she is, I'm inseparable from her now. She has been one of the greatest role models in my life. And if it wasn't for her, I probably would have quit jujitsu a long time ago. I don't know too many women who haven't just burst into tears and cried while on the jujitsu mat and threatened to quit because of frustration or anger. And it's always nice to talk to other women who've said they've done the same thing, like been there, done that. All the men here have seen me cried. So Bring your butt back to gym tomorrow. What causes that? It's just not being able to to do something or? I think, uh, you know, we get, you train for years and years and some days, some weeks, some months, it's just off. You know, you'll have a great month where you're just doing really well and you're learning and you're getting everything. And then all of a sudden you have a month where everyone is beating you. Lower belts are beating you. Men are beating you. You can't do anything right. Every submission you try is just wrong. You're not remembering the moves. And I don't know what causes that. I think every single jujitsu person I've taught to has gone through that. But when you're new and you don't know that, it's very frustrating because you just feel embarrassed that I cried on the mats and I got tapped out and now everybody thinks I suck and I'm a baby and I, I can't go back because I'm embarrassed. And then you talk to upper bouts and other women. They're like, yes, been there, done that. Frustration is there. And I don't honestly know if the men have that as much as we do. But being a female and smaller, sometimes it's just frustrating being overpowered by strength and the weight of the man. But it also is good to keep going back because that's the point of jujitsu is it gives a person a chance to win. How do you bring that to the police force? Not just like, okay, you can defend yourself and, and maybe help other people, but how do you bring that mentality? Because I, I would imagine in a career like that, there's got to be a lot of uh, places in, in your career where you hit that like, ah. Gosh, for whatever reason. And is there a translation between one and the other? There absolutely is. And being a martial art, I, for one, you go to the gym and you can have the worst day and be frustrated and angry. And you go there and you you grapple for 40 minutes and nothing else matters. You're just so tired and you're so exhausted that you forget about being angry. Everything just feels good again. But I think being the martial art and being in a position where you are you know, being dominated and you are losing and you have to keep your calm and keep your cool and keep breathing and keep thinking because if you give up, 
you know, especially like if you think the police world, if I give up and I stop fighting, that could cost me my life. So I think in martial arts, being in positions where you're not always winning, you're losing a lot of the times. So when I go out and I'm a police officer and people are, you know, agitating you and they're talking bad to you and they're talking negatively to you or they're calling you names, it's okay because, you know, in the martial arts, it kind of teaches you to keep calm and it's it's okay. Like they're angry and I understand that and you're upset and that's okay. I'm not going to let you ruin my day, but it helps us. I think every single person I know who's a police officer and practices jujitsu, I feel like they're more confident and they're more safe. We don't have to prove that we can fight. Like somebody wants to fight me, whether it's on duty or off duty, I don't feel like I need to prove anything. I know my abilities, but I'm also aware of my abilities. I'm also aware when I need help. So I can ask for help. I'm not afraid to ask for help. I'm not afraid to say I'm a female. I'm weaker. I might need help on this call because I now know my abilities. But it also keeps us safe in the fact that we do know how to do takedowns. We do know how to control people. We do know, um, you know, how to restrain somebody using our weight without actually hurting them. And this really kind of segues into what's happening these days. And I'm sure being a, a metro area police officer, you're having some, at least some exposure to what's going on with all of the protesting and the riots um, regarding George Floyd. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit? Uh, you know, I, uh, funny, um, this comes up today because yesterday I, I made a really long Facebook post and I was sitting in my bedroom floor, um, you know, just in tears crying. I, I mean, I, I want to cry now. Sorry. Okay. Very, very hard and sensitive. Yeah. I, um, I hate when I cry. <laughs> you know, you're taught for so many years not to cry, not to look weak. But reality is, is my heart goes out to his family and George Floyd because he did not deserve to be murdered. He did not. And I watched that video and it tears me apart. I don't see anything that officer did as necessary. And there's not a single thing I could defend him because it was wrong. But that one officer's actions spoke for every single officer in this country. And now we are all to blame for it. And now we are all being injured. I am having people on my Facebook say that they want cops dead. People that were friends of mine. And it's hard, you know, when you think that somebody you respect and you are friends with posts that they want all cops dead knowing you're a cop. And, you know, I got... A text from somebody saying that I could be killed in a riot tomorrow and they wouldn't care. Oh, my God. And it's terrible because, you know, I am a minority and I did join the police department. I did see good cops growing up. I remember seeing the first Latina cop at my school and I thought she was the most greatest thing in the world. She looked like, you know, Captain America to me. She was you know, a warrior. She was strong. She was kind. And I remember when I became an officer, I, I the first time I saw her, I hugged her and I thanked her for showing me that minorities could be cops because she's the only female minority I'd ever seen up to that point. And she's actually still there. And I absolutely adore her and I love her for everything that she did for me. But, you know, I just, I feel like if we don't have good cops on the police department to call out the bad ones and to stop them from doing bad things, then 
you know, then, then the entire police department is corrupt and that's not true because there are good cops. And the one thing we hate the most are bad cops because this cop does not speak for us. It just doesn't. He doesn't. I would never, ever allow somebody in my department to kill someone unnecessary like that ever. And I saw growing up in a poor neighborhood, I saw my dad hurt by police officers. I saw my cousins hurt by police officers. But I also have family members who are police officers. And I thought becoming a cop would change things. I thought being there, if I saw it, I could stop it more than somebody who's not a cop could. So, yes, it's very difficult. I've experienced discrimination. I've experienced racism. I am extremely dark person and I get darker in the summer and, you know, I, I get it all the time. I still see it now. And I know that it exists, but I also know not everyone feels that way. And not every cop on the line feels that way. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for being vulnerable. It's so valuable for people to hear what you're saying and to hear the emotion in it because this isn't us versus them, regardless of what side you're on, you know. It's about taking care of each other, whether we're a police officer or a firefighter or a paramedic or a civilian rocket scientist or a grocery store worker. You know, we're one community and I just yeah, I I'm so sorry. You know, I just I wish people could understand, you know, like there are minorities on the police department, which means our kids are minorities. My family is interracial. They are all mixed and I fear for them, but I also fear for the officers. I fear for my safety. I fear for everyone on all sides. But they have to know that it's okay for us to be police officers and condemn those who are wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. With your experience and with everything being so fresh right now, um, with all this difficulty between, well, about, I guess, racism, I would say, um, what would you want to share with our audience in terms of advice or desire or anything that you might want to say or share with them? You know, I think um, people... I mean, at least my department, I know for me and all the officers I work with, we we are okay with protesting. I mean, half the time we are on your side and we want to protest, but we have to work as well. So we have to be on the other side. But we have had numerous protests in our city and they have gone peaceful and we have blocked the streets for them and we have been there and I've been on the sidelines of protests and I give everyone high fives and hugs and I talk to people and nobody wants this to be violent on either side you know and I've seen good and bad on both sides and I just I wish there was a way that everyone can understand that we are not against each other our chief is not against them our officers are not against them our officers are in agreement with them but we still have a job to do and when violence happens then we have to react and it's just sad because I wish everyone can go out there and protest and march and show empower how important it is for us all to stand united against what is going on. But that can't happen when there's so much violence. The real message is just completely torn apart. I saw today, um, I think it was Good Morning America. They had a video. uh, Well, I should say they had a report on 
the peaceful protests that are happening around the country. And they made a, a big point that what we're seeing in the news is all the negative things that are happening, but there is an even greater amount of positive things happening. Um, officers like yourself who are are hugging people, um, black men and women who are standing up and uh, protecting a white male officer who was separated from their unit. Um, yeah, it's it's it was the first time I I cried about this whole thing because I was filled with I think a large sense of relief that there's hope and inspiration for for people and particularly police officers who are willing to put down a baton and um, kneel and say we're sorry. Um, and that takes guts, man. It takes guts to be vulnerable and to say, I'm, I'm with you. And, uh, thank you for being one of those officers. You know, all I can say is we, I absolutely try and I, I have worked in our communities and when I worked in different districts, I have tried to, you know, stop and have ice cream with kids or buy, you know, whatever they're selling, whether it's corn in the neighborhood or ice cream, because I do want the kids in our my, in our neighborhoods to know that they can grow up, they can become officers, they can be the ones to make a change and a difference. Because if every officer sees what's going on, then they can start changing it. But if every, you know, I had somebody tell me, if, you know, I should quit my job. But I feel like if every minority quits, then who do we have left to show these kids that they're the ones to change the police department? Well, you are absolutely an example of women who make change in the world. And we do it with these little things like ice cream <laughs> in a conversation and a hug. Because just like that impacted you when you were a kid. We don't see the impact. We don't get to see that, but we have to believe in it, that it's there. I think it's the only thing that keeps yeah. us going. <laughs> right, exactly. And I say us just as women, you know, of, of being somebody who serves people as well. And, and um, many times in my life feeling that it's, that it's you no, know, nothing, nobody's thanking you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting you can bring up like us as women because I still hear little girls say that, oh, like, oh, it's a woman cop. It's a girl cop. Like they're still not used to seeing us. And, it, you know, also being a woman, I was just talking to, you know, some of my coworkers the other day is when I was a detective, I'm wearing detective attire that says detective. And I would walk up to somebody and they're like, can I talk to a detective? I'm like, but, but I am a detective. And they're like, no, like a real one. I'm like, no. Oh, okay. Oh. All the time. Or they would call and I would answer and they would ask to talk to a detective. Even though you answer detective, they say, can I talk to a detective? You're like, okay. And now as a supervisor and a sergeant, you know, when somebody comes up, they walk up to the male officer first and they ask him who's in charge every time. Hmm. It's always funny because it's always like, yeah, it's me, you know, the, the one sitting here, not, not, the, not the male officer. Does that feel good or bad or both? <laughs> You know, it feels bad. at first it felt bad because I was like, wow, am I not good enough? Like, you don't want to talk to me. But then after a while, like, fine, I guess it's less work for me. Um, you know, as a supervisor, it kind of, it does feel bad because you're like, why would you assume I couldn't be a supervisor? But um, 
I guess you just take it with a grain of salt and kind of laugh. There's nothing you can really do. Yeah. Well, and it kind of proves a point. Like, here I am. I can do this. How may I help you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your story and for being vulnerable. And um, I am sure that you are going to continue to have a huge impact on people. And I know you will have an impact on our listeners. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much. That was Stephanie Linkus, a sergeant in a metro area police department, sharing her experience as a minority in life, but also as a police officer. Stephanie and I already had this interview scheduled prior to the death of George Floyd, but it gave us a chance to touch on this topic, and I hope people in our audience will share the story with others. I think it's important to remember that our officers are our neighbors and friends, and sometimes are even living with one foot in both worlds of law enforcement and living with discrimination in their own personal lives. If you haven't yet followed us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please take a second to follow and rate the show. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can share these stories with your friends. Until next time, be bold and be wild. Be wild.